Bring together a hive mind Buzz together and be kind Never perfect Yet we can move the line Towards what good looks like Love, 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 love Love, love, love Towards what good looks like Welcome to the Love, Love, Hive Mind edition of Something Different This Way Come. I'm Heather McLeod. After the conversation that I shared on last week's edition, the Paolo Frieri two-step edition of Something Different This Way Comes, my mom and I kept talking. My mom, Dr. Faye Martin, expert in community development. She gets me thinking. Lots of things get me thinking. And lately, these thoughts keep bringing me back to love. Something different this way comes something Something different Something different Something different this way comes something Something different Something different In our conversation after the podcast conversation one of the things mum said that I kind of wish made it into that recording is that Paul Alinsky's community organizing strategy can make things happen, but it has a kind of time limit. He promised nothing beyond five years. The effectiveness is limited. It runs out in five years or less. I think that's kind of a key point. In case you missed the Paolo Frieri two-step edition, if you want a refresher, here's my cool notes. Two main community organizer schools of thinking. Saul Alinsky wrote Rules for Radicals. This book, Rules for Radicals, is basically what got Trump into power. It informs all kinds of radicalization organizations, as well as grassroots movements for positive change. It's powerful stuff. It can be used for good or bad. Alinsky advises, we follow the money, to be clear on whose interests are being advanced, which Mum notes risks replacing one problem with a new problem that looks all too much like the one it replaced. any rate... There is a piece of Paulinski advice that Mum swears by. She says, When you as a group want to act, you need to decide on a goal that is specific, immediate, and realizable. Specific, immediate, and realizable. Revolution by bite-sized pieces. The other school of thought is the Paolo Friari, as in the Paolo Friari two-step which also takes one manageable step at a time. But here, you and your group first spend a lot of time clarifying. What do you mean by change? What do you mean by whatever words are key to what you want to change? You dig into the words and their meaning. Maybe your words are connection or education, justice or equality, access or resilience. Start with the words, reflect on them, And then you're ready to take action. And then you act. And the act doesn't have to be perfect. It's not expected to achieve all that you want to see happen in one fell swoop. It is doable. It gets done. And then you and your group reflects again. What did you learn? What might you want to do differently? What do you want to do next? It's the Paolo Friari two-step. Reflection upon action, then action upon reflection. And once that dance gets going, It has no timeline. It can just keep going and going. It's a never-ending dance that a community can work together to shape their world and better meet their needs, better reflect their values. It's never perfect, but the goal is ever better. Bring together a hive mind Buzz together and be kind Never perfect, yet we can move the line towards what good looks like. Love, 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 love towards what good looks like. 
perfect is not on the pick list. That's another of mom's catchphrases. And it's, it's powerful. Perfect is not on the pick list. Whatever you do, it can't be perfect. That's a given. So imperfections are to be avoided, but also expected. Forgiven. Learn from. Reconcile, too. Anyway, mom and I, here they are. The conversation after the conversation, trying to come up with a way to know whether a community organizing goal was good or bad. <laughs> we, we, we couldn't seem to get anywhere. So I kept on thinking. And I, I think the seed is in what mom was saying about family. Because I think good looks like love. And love is messy. Love has no real rule book, except that perfect is not on the pick list. Reconciliation, forgiveness, honesty, appreciation, inclusion. Those are necessary. But love is alive. It's changeable. It's unpredictable. It's definitely not about control. It doesn't fit well with rules or assumptions, even habits. Love needs care, attention, commitment. Love is a free agent. You gotta let it go in order for it to be. The good news is we're really good at love. We don't always give ourselves enough credit for it, actually. We're good at learning, at giving, at doing, at connecting. In fact, that's what makes us happy. And we're good at love. Messy, unpredictable, uncontrolled, trusting, love. Happiness is good. It's something we should make easier in our hood. Happiness is good. I heard Manuel Pastor talk on a Bioneers podcast. I had to go and listen to it again as I was thinking about what to say today. He wrote a book um, called Solidarity Economics. And what really struck me as I listened to him was this repeating theme that we lose so much when we exclude people, when we judge and condemn and punish, when we put people in jail, when we don't fully integrate them as immigrants and deny them some rights in our society, like voting or working or paying taxes. When we exclude people from education, they didn't pass. Or health care, they can't afford it. We lose so much when we exclude people from our economy. We lose so much more than we save we lose what they would otherwise contribute. The work they would do, the taxes they'd pay, the conversations they would add to. And that made me think of Gary Mack. When Gary Mack was campaigning to be mayor this fall and was asked how he would lead this city through our overlapping crises of drug overdoses, gangs, bad policing, hunger, homelessness, racism, Gary Mack said, he would do what he did when he was leading Shelter House and the outreach program SOS needed funding. He didn't just say, help! He didn't just say, this is an important program. First, he took a step back and gathered together people who had expertise on why this program mattered, what it did, how it worked, and, and had ideas about how to make it work even more effectively or efficiently. Their experience was firsthand. These were people who were directly connected to the program. They provided services or used services. They worked there. We received work from that group. These are who gathered together to share ideas, clarify why and how the program was needed, agree on what was most needed and why. And then, and only then, did they start looking for resources to fund or support this proposal, this really solid, well-informed, collaboratively created proposal. And you know what? At that point, it was easy. They were able to resuscitate, rebuild, and strengthen that program because they knew exactly what they needed and why. Gary Mack focused on that collaboration. It was not a consultation. It was a collaboration for their success. And I think he's bang on. 
all give her all edition of Something Different This Way Comes a couple weeks ago. I talked about Wendy Smith, a psychologist I discovered through the podcast Hidden Brain. And she said, dilemmas are often mismanaged because we want simple answers, the right one and the wrong one. It's tempting to simplify, to manage things with, you know, a list of pros and cons. But actually, real dilemmas can't be solved well with a choice between two things because they have many good answers, which is a bit of a paradox, but also an opportunity. If you take the time to look and see where those good answers overlap or complement or build on one another, a sort of Venn diagram of options and opportunities, you can map your way through a complicated but powerful change. It won't be simple, but it will be easier than you might at first think because it'll be right. It'll be better. You need to be willing to embrace the messiness, to dare to love and and trust. Connection is good. Reach out with respect, we should. Include us all in our hood. Connection is good. I think that might be key to figuring out whether you're on the right track. Are you working for good or for bad? Ask yourself, does it look a bit like love? Messy, inclusive, building habits of engagement and action that could just keep on keeping on, creating change, an everlasting engine of reflecting on action, then acting on that reflection, then reflecting on that action, and acting on that reflection, and chugga, 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 and the wheels go round. What does bad look like? If the action seems to be feeding divisions, augmenting judgment, excluding blaming. I mean, fear and anger, they can feed action. But fear and anger shut down our brains and our compassionate hearts. Anyway, there I go again, trying to come up with a rule of thumb when I already said perfect is not on the pick list. So going by rules is for fools. <laughs> except when they're not. Except, oh gosh, see, that would be a rule again. Dr. Faye Martin last week, my mom, quoted Margaret Mead, a phrase that's been pinned up on the wall by her desk always, my whole life long. Never doubt that a small, thoughtful, committed group of citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. So that's interesting. Groups of citizens change the world. Not leaders, not remarkable individuals, not presidents or CEOs or admirals. Thoughtful, committed citizens change the world. Conversations and concerted actions, kitchen tables, and autonomy. If we flex our muscles as citizens, there's so much we can do. We have power, not just to vote, but to talk, to suggest, to lead, to innovate, to organize, to experiment, to demonstrate as citizens. Each with our own experience, perspective, skills, expertise. Together, any small group of us can figure out how our particular Venn diagram of good ideas could work together, thoughtfully, committed to changing our world as citizens. We already have all the authority we need. Yeah, I'm talking about revolution. Learning and teaching is good. Figure things out, yes we should. Getting the know in our hood. Learning and teaching is good. heard on a Bioneers podcast, Hank Ovink, this week. I had to listen to him twice, and then I had to go online and read more. I've put up links for you at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca. Hank Ovink. He's from Rotterdam in Holland. Now, Rotterdam was built on a river delta 800 years ago, a river delta, and more than half of this city is below sea level, and it is right on the coast. 
Olvink is a specialist in coastal infrastructure, and he talked about how his city, Rotterdam, is preparing for climate crisis extremes, what they've already done and what they're preparing to do more. And it kind of boils down, if you'll pardon the pun, <laughs> didn't intend that one, it kind of boils down to working more respectfully with water, letting water be water, letting it do its natural thing more, and artificially controlling it less. Like building marshes, wetlands, and reservoirs, rather than viaducts and storm sewers. We're not just talking land that was already unused. No, 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 no. Rotterdam has been taking over land that has been farmed or lived on or used for industry for generations, sometimes hundreds of years, in order to let water have its way in those spaces. That's a big deal. But they're not imposing it. Instead, they're reaching out to the real experts on that land, the people who've lived and worked there all that time, and said, here's what we're thinking, what do you think? Here's some of our ideas, what are yours? And collaboratively, they've come up with these solutions. This reaching out, this collaboration was smart. It got to better solutions. And part of the key was wanting everyone to be happy literally putting happiness on the agenda. Time spelt collaborating on a solution was the way to get there from worried to happy. Which made me think again of my mom, Dr. Faye Martin, in last week's Paolo Friari Two-Step Edition. She talked about how she's seen community development get institutionalized and made less effective by that control, that imposition of structure, of expectation, of defining success before the work has even begun. She talked about how mandated, forced councils of organizations with a shared or overlapping goals almost never make anything happen. All these educated, frontline, capable, caring people around a table, they only have the power to report. They somehow have their hands tied, and cannot act. There's too many controls, too many conversations whose goals have been imposed, too little autonomy, too few free agents. Well, I mean, we've got the group. I'm sure if we let them go and apply their ideas and put their heart into it, they could make incredible things happen. What would it take for us to flip that switch? turn them from spinning their wheels to rolling things forward. That's what I keep thinking about after last week's conversation with Mom. I think it could be as simple as give them the money. Trust them. Less control, more trust, could be powerful stuff. Mom has another expression, by the way. Sometimes, she says, it's easier to apologize than get permission. I know, I got you worried, didn't I? But it's true. I think of, again, uh, was it two weeks ago when I was talking about Toronto and all the mini parquettes in Toronto that were taken over by people in the neighborhood and turned into something that worked for them. So it became a space that was a vital part of their days and their lives. It didn't happen because somebody from the city went knocking door to door and said, how would you like us to change that parquette so you use it more? And maybe it did happen because some families went knocking on the door of City Hall and said, we want to use our parquet differently. We have some ideas. Will you please respect and uh, fund them? Maybe some people did do that. But I'll bet you, I'll bet you, they didn't get as far or certainly not as fast as those who simply pooled together the resources, bought some paint, did a cleanup, organized a schedule. And if the city came around later and said, hey, who did this? Who gave you permission? They apologized. And then they had the precedent to say, look, what a difference it made. And support those knocking on the door, probably still waiting to be heard and find out how they might be funded and who might be able to consider their suggestion at City Hall by saying, look, this is all it needs. This is all it needs and this is how powerful it is. So give us some cash and we'll make it happen. Sometimes it's easier to apologize than get permission, especially when you are confident that all you're doing is love. You're just giving your hood some love. 
Maybe it's a crosswalk. Maybe it's a wild space. Maybe it's a daycare. Maybe it's a community kitchen. Give some love. And sometimes you might need to apologize. But you got it done. Giving and sharing is good. Ideas and efforts we should. Find ways of helping our hood. Giving and sharing is good. Ten years ago, New York City was hit by Hurricane Sandy. Do you remember that? Flooded subways. Houses ripped out from underneath people. Beaches that just disappeared. Whole streets that were feet deep in water. New York City and Hurricane Sandy. Hank Ovink, the coastal infrastructure expert from Rotterdam and Holland, he was invited to help that city rebuild 10 years ago. And he said, rather than deciding what we want to do, then looking for the right person to do that job, let's start by throwing the net out to gather up as many ideas as we can. So they put out a call for design, suggestions, engineering. What should we do? And why do you think that's the solution? And once they had all these ideas, they hired a whole whack of people. They didn't go with their fave. They picked their top dozen or 20 or whatever it was and hired them all to get together and collaborate and put on the table those good ideas and see which ones they could all get behind, which ones they could do together that complemented or built on one another. And they had such an innovative solution that when their solutions have since been tested in the last decade, they have been amazingly effective. And that idea of collaborative solutions has been a game changer around the world. Not everywhere yet, absolutely, but a game changer. I've got a link to the 10-year anniversary report on the Hurricane Sandy rebuild in New York City and to the city of Rotterdam's plan to improve their resilience to climate crises over the next 10 years. I've also got a link to the international organization to help cities build resilience that Hank Ovink leads. It's called Rebuild by Design. They've got a great short video on there, so inspiring. You can find them all at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes. Bring together our hive mind, buzz together and be kind. Never perfect, yet we can move the Towards what good looks like Love, 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 love Love, love, love Towards what good looks like It can be hard to see what we're not looking to see. And oh, what opportunities we can miss because of these invisible blinkers we all wear. Like last season when I told Sam about the experiment with a picture of an elephant in the savannah. Ask people what they see, and 99.9% of the time they say, elephant. Ask me then, and they look harder and say, elephant. A third try, elephant. Somehow the savannah is just not what they see because it's not what they're looking for. They call it nature blindness. When I told that story to Sam, he told me about a video, which I've since watched, but I hadn't at that point. The video starts out by telling you to watch something in particular, like how many times, count how many times a ball has passed or, or something like that. And then after you've done that, they ask if you noticed the giant gorilla dancing, which the first time Sam watched that and the first time I watched that, I'm like, no way. What giant gorilla dancing? There's no way. But we go back, we watch the video again. Yeah. It, clearly, we did not see it because we were not looking for it. Even though we are looking at it, we weren't looking for it and we didn't see it. I discovered this week John Warner, again, on a Bioneers podcast, and then I dug up more about him online, which you can find at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca. So John Warner is a chemist 
And he had two revelations that are kind of like that, what we don't see because we're not looking for it. What opportunities there are right in front of our noses, we just need to notice. His first revelation sprung from tragedy. John Warner's son was born with a rare condition and died as a toddler. He was already an acclaimed academic and a chemist by then, and someone mentioned to him that the cause of his son's fatal condition might be an as-yet-unproven-to-be-toxic compound. And John Warner thought, I could have created the compound that killed my child and would have to kill or harm many, many more people before sufficient proof is collected to fund the testing of this theory and maybe, eventually, identify that compound as a toxin. I was telling Arno this story and he stopped me thinking of all the training on toxic substance management he knew well as a manager at the Bombardier plant. He thought John Warner must have had this revelation a long time ago, because we all know about toxicity now, right? But no. The toxins we manage in manufacturing plants and so on are reactively identified, not proactively. Newly identified compounds are generally used without screening for toxicity. The screening only happens once enough evidence is gathered to convince the regulators it's a good idea to start testing for it. I found an article in National Geographic that summed up the system concisely, so I'll quote from that. Each year, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency reviews an average of 1,700 new chemical compounds that industry is seeking to introduce. Yet, the 1976 Toxic Substances Control Act that's how long it's been since things like this have been updated, requires that they be tested for any ill effects before approval only if evidence of potential harm exists, which is seldom the case for new chemicals. The agency approves about 90% of the new compounds without any restrictions. And only a quarter of the 82,000 chemicals in use in the U.S. have ever been tested for toxicity. What I'm quoting from was written by David Ewing Duncan. Again, a National Geographic article, and I've got the link to it at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca. Making things happen is good, making a difference we should. All end a hand in our hood, making things happen is good. to the grieving chemist John Warner. He realized that as a chemist, a guy who taught chemistry, trained fellow chemists, and developed new chemical compounds all the time, he'd never learned anything about toxicology. The idea of proactively testing new compounds for toxicity had never come up in all his years as a chemist. And John Warner decided to change that. He got some people together, ran the thought by them, listened to their thoughts about what good looks like, avoided or quieted the Eeyores and the naysayers. And he founded Beyond Benign, which is putting toxicity testing into the education and culture of chemistry. That's what good looks like. John Warner had another epiphany. He took a moment to consider his lab, where he practiced chemistry and develops new compounds, and he saw, for the first time, like noticing the savannah in that picture of an elephant, the chemists make molecular compounds by force, using heat or cold or pressure. Molecules are made to bounce hard and often off one another until they're forced to bond. His revelation is that chemistry happens in nature, but force is not required. Chemical bonding and transformations happen at ambient temperature. No pressure. Unforced. He said, in nature, molecules first kind of check each other out. And if they find one another attractive, they might start snuggling, cozying in, until there they are, bonded. Love makes the world go around, I tell ya. Anyway, gently. Maybe not quickly, but certainly energy efficiently. Chemical transformations happen naturally all the time. And with that revelation, John Warner 
pivoted into green chemistry, figuring out how chemistry happens naturally, and then looking to see how those transformative tendencies can be applied to our own ends. An example he gave was hair color. If you want to color your hair, you know, go to the store, buy a hair color. That chemistry is pretty hard ass. I mean, you strip your hair, you force it to bond. It's a bit of a bombardment. It uses that old school, artificially efficient school of chemistry. But consider a bug with an exoskeleton. It changes color when it outgrows that exoskeleton. The now too small, dark hard casing cracks and falls off, and the new stuff underneath at first is soft and pale. Then, pretty quickly, it darkens and hardens. This is chemistry in action, at ambient temperature, nothing forced. By studying this natural chemical reaction, John Warner and his team developed a product that turns hair that's gone gray or white back to the color of that particular head's youth, without force or stripping, as naturally as a newly exposed exoskeleton grows dark. Green chemistry. What an amazing tool for us to wield as we re-green and renew and re-clean our world, moving from crisis back to sustainable and healthy. In fact, I am super excited. I was just reading about this when I, I saw an invitation pop in for a presentation tonight, November 15th, at Lakehead University as part of their science speaker series, Dr. Hind A. Abadley from the University of Waterloo. Her presentation is titled, Chemistry's Role in Global Resilience to Climate Change, From Molecules to Policies and Regulations. How on point is that? I think it's time for this week's composition. Then I'll bring this edition home here to Thunder Bay, What's going on and what more we can do to make things happen now, what I've been doing as I try to move from my reflection towards more action. Here it is. I'm calling it Love, Love, Hive Mind. I hope you like it. Bring together our hive mind Buzz together and be kind Never perfect Yet we move the line toward what good looks like. Love, 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 love towards what good looks like. Happiness is good. Something we should make easier in our hood. Happiness is good. Connection is good. Reaching out, respecting we should include us all in our hood. Connecting. together a 
together and be kind never perfect yet we move the line towards what God looks like love 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 towards what God looks like Help make a difference, we should All in a hand in our hood Making things happen is good Happiness is good It's something we should Make easier in our hood Happiness is good Bring together our hive mind, buzz together and be kind. Never perfect, yet we move the line toward what God looks like. Love, 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 love towards what God looks like. the love, love, hive mind. There are so many people with good ideas out there, with expertise and experience and front-line insights, so many thoughtful, committed citizens who can change the world. First, with open, productive, respectful conversation that leads to action, back to reflection, and then more action, the Paolo Frieri two-step as an engine for ongoing positive change starts with autonomy, engagement, asking people to the table. Speaking of tables, I went to the United Way fundraising kickoff breakfast a few weeks ago and I was blown away by a video. The video showcased Elevate Northwest Ontario's work at homeless encampments here in Thunder Bay. And it featured Flint, a resident of one of those encampments, Flint, had become a member of Elevate's peer education team. He was still living at the encampment, but he knew he was more approachable than outsiders for other people living at that encampment with him. And as a member of the peer education team, he learned what help was available and helped people get that help. And he shared his expertise into what help his community most needed right back to the people wanting to provide help. Flint brought so much to this role, and they did so much. So many people here in Thunder Bay are now sheltered. They have homes that work for them as we roll into winter. He did his job well, with thought and care and effort. And and watching him in that video, getting a sense of who he was and how he was doing this, it it made me cry. You should watch the video. You'll You'll probably cry, too. But it's a good cry because you can see how much this job, being trusted with it and asked to do it, fed his soul. He was able to do something. He was able to give and to learn, to teach and to build connections, to be valued, to be empowered, to have autonomy. A few weeks ago in the Oh, the Places You'll Go edition of Something Different This Way Comes, Paul Berger spelled out, the four keys to happiness, according to science researching what actually makes us happy. It isn't power or wealth or fame. What makes us happy is being connected to other people. That's number one, connection. Number two, being able to do things, to act. Third, being able to learn and to teach. And fourth, the fourth key to our happiness 
is being able to give, to be generous. That makes us happy. And that is what Elevate asked these homeless citizens to do when they asked them to work for the peer education team. That is powerful, effective community development work right there in action, right here in Thunder Bay. And that wasn't the only thing that left my head ringing at that United Way breakfast. The other thing that really struck me was an image they used to share what they've identified as the key priorities in Thunder Bay to make us a stronger, healthier, happier community. It was a circle with three colors overlapping equally around the rim. One color said basic needs met. We need to make sure every citizen in our city is fed, sheltered, has the health care they need, every basic need met. The second color, the second goal, connection and inclusion. The more connected we grow to be to one another, the more we include everyone, the better off we will all be. And the third color, the goal, the United Way identified as a key priority for our community is every student graduates. A less-than-perfect pass rate? Just not good enough. What does this have to do with resilience in a climate crisis, with finding solutions and getting our way through this time of chaos and risk and uncertainty? It has everything. If we could get everybody okay on board and able to help, what a difference. We can't afford to leave anyone behind. This is a crisis. That circle of interconnected goals, by the way, the other reason it was so powerful to me was that it was not imposed. It was not a response to a funding opportunity or initiative. This came from a respectful, collaborative conversation. The United Way spent quite a bit of time. They invited all the organizations they fund community organizations here in Thunder Bay that try to fill the gaps, meet the needs, serve the unserved in this city. They all gathered together in mutual respect and decided together what they mean by those words, basic needs, connection, inclusion, graduates. And then they put their best ideas on the table and looked for where they overlapped, where they complemented how they could be made better than the sum of their parts. This is powerful work. This could start a two-step, never-ending dance towards what good looks like in Thunder Bay. Bring together our hive mind Buzz together and be kind Never perfect, yet we move what good looks like love 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 towards what good looks like I listened again this week to a Bioneers podcast that introduced me to Kathy Couch and the series community project. It started in Northern California. It's gotten on to be emulated, adapted in communities all over the world, spelled C-E-R-E-S, the Series Community Project. I've got a link to uh, their webpage and a six-minute video about them. Really great stuff. You can find them on my website, www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca. So the Series Community Project in Northern California started when Kathy Couch, who's a chef, learned a friend of limited means, had cancer. And she decided that she was going to cook for her friend healthy, organic meals to help her heal. Because food is medicine. She knew this. We all know this. And her food really did help and inspired Kathy Couch, inspired her to start change. The Series Community Project is a kitchen that brings healthy food to people who are sick and need that good medicine, organic food, that they grow themselves. But that's not all. 
the Series Community Project gets young people to not just help in the kitchen and garden, but actually cook and grow the food. And they do have plenty of adult helpers, but it's the adults helping these teenage and youth workers, not the other way around. It's the teenagers and the youth that do the cooking and do the gardening and feed the people who feel the love in that work. That was the feedback time and time again. When they ate the food, they tasted love. And though they may have been fed with love by family or friends as they went through their treatments and healed, the fact that the love in this food came from strangers, from young people in their community who cared, that was really important. That was something they really needed to say thank you for. So the Series Community Project makes sure that every young person working in the program gets to hear an in-person thank you, gets to hear many of them. For weeks at a time, recipients of this gift of good food in a time of sickness are invited to visit the kitchen and say thank you to these young, learning cooks and gardeners. And by the way, you're both. You spend some time in the kitchen and some time in the garden, and back and forth you go. The impact on both sides of that thank you is huge. Love. It's powerful medicine. Love makes the world go round. Love, 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 love. Love, love, love towards what good looks like. I think this podcast is both a reflection on action and an action on reflection for me. But honestly, it is more of a reflection. So I've been trying to move out of my reflection a little more into action. Knowing that perfect isn't on the pick list, any action is good enough, and committed to doing better the next time. So this summer, I did two things. I organized a block party. I think I've mentioned this before. I called up a couple of neighbors, and together we came up with an action plan. We picked a date, a venue, a time of day, and a way to say, come join us. Sam and Ben helped make the invitation. Sam drew the words block party out of brightly colored blocks. Ben drew people standing around chatting, snacking, getting to one another. And they delivered that invitation to mailboxes. I and my friends who cooked up the plan with me, we made a few phone calls. We knocked in a few doors, walked up a few laneways. We made sure everyone on our street was invited. Everyone was included. Not everyone came, but everyone was included. And it was great. It was easy once it got rolling, and it'll be that much easier to do better next time. And worth doing, because, well, now, when there's a storm and I worry about power outages, I know who to check on and who might check on me. Now, when I spot a bear or a lost dog or an icy patch that might spin you into the pond if you drive by before it's sanded, I know that much better who to tell, how to reach them. And I feel more connected. It makes me happier driving down my road and just knowing more people better. One of the four keys to happiness is connection with other people. Another is taking action. And a third is giving. Check, check, check. It's not a huge thing I did. I threw a party. And yet, changing the world one thoughtful, committed act at a time. Bite-sized pieces. If we all dig in, we can really add up to a more nourished world. The other act I did was to gather a new class of students at Lappy Lutheran Church Sunday School. It wasn't easy. Ben and Sam and the kids who grew up going to Sunday School with them had kind of outgrown it while we were closed down due to COVID. And we hadn't had kids at church on Sundays at all, most of the time, for months. So a couple of us put our heads together. And we decided to spruce up the space. We put out a survey on Facebook. We made a poster. We made more than a few phone calls. And we listened to learn what would work for families that were thinking maybe they would like to join us. And this September, when we started Sunday school again, we had students. So, I started by saying love is too messy for rules. And love is the way to distinguish good change from unsustainable bad change. But I do have a bit of a choreography for you. Not rules so much as a suggestion 
to help you find your partners for your own Paolo Friari two-step. Your own love, 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 love. Ever-loving hive mind small group of thoughtful citizens committed to act to change the world. First, gather a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens. Then, think about what change we all agree we want to see. Think about what the words mean. Spend some time reflecting. And then decide on an action to help make that change happen. Act, then reflect again to learn from your action. Act and reflect. Reflect on action, act upon reflection, and do it again. Margaret Mead and Paolo Friare say, you don't need to have to wait to be organized. You can be the organizer. I'm Heather McLeod. I write, compose, perform, record, edit, and am responsible for every opinion I express on this podcast. I represent no one else. This buck starts and stops with me. And if you like this podcast, if it makes you think or brings you hope or entertains you, please help it to be heard. Help spread the word. And come back next Tuesday for the next edition. Something different this way comes something. Something different. Something different. Something different this way comes something. Something different. Something.